We're starting uh, a new series on, uh, on spirituality. Now, that's a, a word which has all sorts of different connotations, but um, I think uh, spirituality is, is defined in, the, in this psalm, really, is it not? It's, it's, a, it's about the relationship that we have with God. And this psalm um, uh, describes the, the spirituality of a man whose life is kind of governed not by pursuing wickedness, but actually by pursuing a life uh, of meditating on God's word and, uh, and being in relationship with him. And that's what Christianity is about. It's about a personal relationship. It's not about a set of doctrines to be learned and, and, and um, believed, although, of course, doctrine is important. It's about a relationship between us and God. And I think it's that relationship that's infectious because a lot of people today are desperately in need of a good relationship. There are so many lonely people in our world, and they may not be the old lady stuck at home with no one calling on her. They could be the person walking down the high street. They could be the teenager in the crowd at school. Uh, what we, what we all need is a, is a good relationship. And that relationship, of course, can always be found with God. Now, um, the series on spirituality is linked. Uh, the other kind of side of the coin is on a series on the Psalms. Because if you want to find out about people's relationship with God, there's few better places to go than the book of Psalms. Because there in the book of Psalms, we find every aspect of relationship... Every emotion, there's everything from the kind of quiet, he leads me by the still waters and, the, and, the, and the, the kind of gentle stuff we've been thinking, right through to smash the teeth of my enemies, Lord. You know, and haven't we all felt like that? From, well, haven't we? You know, there's every aspect of human, human response to God. And uh, you can read, you know, there's everything in the Psalms. And so we're going to pick... A few selected psalms and different people are going to be taking those. Now, um, uh, Mike wrote back to me very quickly when he realised that he'd got Psalm 119 to do, so you must be kidding. Um, but I hope Mike will not be doing a complete verse-by-verse verse, uh, expedition of that psalm. But uh, all the different psalms have something to say about the spirituality of the person that wrote them. And maybe we can learn from that. So, uh, Psalm 1, um, I took the easy one, Mike, it's all right. <laughs> There's only six verses here. Um, the definition of a blessed man uh, is someone who does not walk with the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit in the seat of mockers. It starts off with all the shall nots, doesn't it? And, and sadly, I think that many people's view of Christianity and religion, and that it's all about thou shalt not. And uh, so many rules, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that. But actually, uh, that's the way Psalm starts, but it only does that to contrast with this blessed man, the wicked man with the blessed man, uh, in a much more positive way, uh, that the blessed man is someone who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, I feel sure there's an awful lot more that will come out of Psalm 119 about the law of the Lord, because that's what that psalm is largely about from beginning to end. Um, but this uh, particular psalm, Psalm 1, a short psalm, it's the first psalm in the book, and it kind of sets the scene, does it not, for the rest of the psalms. But actually, the, the, 
blessed man uh, meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Now I wonder what that uh, says to you. Well, it says that the source of our spirituality is the word of God and the Bible. But uh, meditating day and night on the law of the Lord could conjure up in some minds a huge book of Leviticus sitting there pondering it all day and all night. How exciting is that? Uh, actually, I have got a little cartoon at home and it, it shows a man doing just that. And, it, and the heading is, Clive the Calvinist really understood the concept of pleasure. As he, but the law, of course, is much wider than that. I mean, but, but Leviticus and Deuteronomy are part of the law that the psalmist was talking about. It's all God's law. So, how do we meditate on the law of the Lord day and night? Um, well, does it mean you have to spend all day and all night pondering your Bible? Well, I don't think that is necessarily what is required. Uh, but what it does assume is that you know the word, and therefore regular reading and listening to the word. I mean, if you, if you can't read... Uh, there are ways of hearing the word. I mean, the, the, originally the Bible was written to be spoken out loud. Uh, and if we, don't, if we don't digest the word, if we don't hear it, how can we actually meditate on it? And how can we then apply it in our lives? So, so certainly it goes without saying that regular reading and study of the word and listening to the word is all very important. Um, this psalm, uh, in a minute, picks up the image uh, of, of the tree. Um, but I, I'd like to suggest that uh, there's another image that you could, the psalmist could have used. It, it could have used the image of the cow. So it could have said that the blessed man is like a cow. What does a cow do? It spends most of its day eating grass. And what does it do for the rest of the day? It sits down and it ruminates. It's a ruminant. So it takes it from its stomach that it's eaten it to, it brings it back up, it's a lovely thought, isn't it? And it chews it again, and then it takes it down to its next stomach, and therefore the process of digestion of the, of the grass is something that takes a long time. And, and it's why only certain animals, herbivores, are, are able to live, eat, eat grass, because we could not survive on eating grass. But cows and other animals, swans, interestingly, uh, 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 their digestive system is designed to get nourishment out of grass. So I would think, actually, that the man who meditates on the Word of God is not like the man who reads his Bible all day and doesn't do anything else. And I do know people a bit like that. Uh, but it's actually somebody who takes the Word in and digests it and meditates on it and ruminates on that Word for the rest of the time. I mean, you might be in the, in the middle of a very important meeting at work. Uh, it doesn't mean you've got to get your Bible out and start reading it, but once we have uh, once we've absorbed the word, we can then meditate on it, and it comes back to us at different times of the day and the night. Now, here's a question. Can you remember all of the meals you have eaten in your life? Well, I did a quick calculation, and, and I, I calculated that I... Uh, I'm 63, so I calculated that I've approximately 68,000 meals I have eaten in my lifetime. Um, probably, if I were to calculate again, the, the majority of those were cooked by Karen. Yeah. Yeah, and they were wonderful. 
Uh, but can I remember every single meal I've eaten? Can you? You can, Adrian. So, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But actually, all of those 68,000 meals have somehow been absorbed into my body. Uh, some of them rejected, perhaps. Um, but uh, on, on, over that time, that sustenance, those nutrients have come into, and that's who, who I am, made up of all those meals that I've eaten. Uh, now, that's a bit like the image of the man meditating on the word of God. He, he doesn't necessarily know every single verse of the Bible by heart, although, of course, within the, if you were a, a disciple of a rabbi, um, then that's what they're expected to do, to learn all of the law by heart, to learn the Psalms by heart. Um, I, I've, I don't know if anyone's able to do that, but I, I certainly can't. But there's bits of it that I remember and other bits I've absorbed. You get the idea? So the psalmist says um, that the man who is a blessed man is like a tree. And the Bible's full of images of trees. There's a tree in the very beginning, in, in, in chapter... Well, they're made, made in chapter 1. In chapter 2, um, there's the garden uh, uh, with the tree in the garden in chapter 3. Um, and then right at the end of the Bible, there's the tree of knowledge uh, of life, the tree of life that comes back at the end, and uh, the trees by the river. Um, and in Genesis 12, Abraham sits down under a tree, a special sacred tree uh, in Moray. And, and those trees actually uh, come back to time to time. The, the same tree, uh, actually, you will find uh, appears later on in the Bible. Very important places to sit under a tree. Now, I have got a couple of uh, visual aids here, you probably noticed. Um, there's a couple of bits of tree here. Well, some of you can say that's not a tree, but it looks like a tree, doesn't it? Um, let's just think about a tree and the important parts of a tree which might be relevant in this psalm. So let's start from the bottom, shall we? Roots. Yeah, every tree has to have roots, and it wasn't that long ago that uh, we had uh, a sermon about about being rooted. And um, the roots, uh, what do they do? Absorb moisture and, and nutrients. Uh, stabilize it, they provide, uh, yeah, so they, the, the tree will not stand up unless it's got good roots. Uh, and particularly when the storms of life come, the trees with the good roots are the ones that actually are going to stand up best. Okay, so roots are really important, and then when we looked at Colossians, uh, Colossians 2.7, it talked about rooted in Christ. So when we think about this man who is blessed, where are our roots where are we putting our roots down? If we're like putting them into shallow sand, we're not going to be very good when the storms come. Um, so deep roots are really important for moisture, for sustenance, and for stability. Um, let's go up a bit. What about, what about the leaves of a tree? Can anyone tell me what the leaves of a tree are for? Photosynthesis. That's a good word, isn't it? Yeah, it's for taking... Um, the nutrients, the water, the um, nutrients that come up, the carbon dioxide in the air, and the important ingredient, sunshine, the sunlight, and synthesizing out of those the, the carbohydrates that the tree needs to grow. 
So leaves are really important on a tree um, because without them, the tree can't get energy and it, and it can't grow. So it needs roots, it needs leaves. And, and I'm thinking in terms of a spiritual analogy, um, we need light in our lives, don't we? Because Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, he is the streams of living water. Well, this tree is planted by the streams so the roots can reach down into the water. I mean, I'm amazed this summer, our apple tree produced quite a lot of apples later. How did it survive? Well, actually, there's a little stream running around our garden and the roots must be down into that, uh, into that semi permanently damp layer, the water table, and the tree did produce apples. And uh, amazingly, I gather the apple crop is quite good this year. Not as good as last year, which was exceptional, but it, it's amazing, isn't it? The streams of living water, but also the light. So we need to have our, our roots into the streams of living water, which Christ brings. We need to have our leaves actually in the light of Christ, the light that shines, that lights the world. Then, of course, um, all trees produce some kind of fruit, not necessarily fruit that we can eat, um, the fruit on the tree, and the fruit determines what kind of tree it is. You don't get bananas on an apple tree, for example. Um, um, but fruit, it says here, bear fruit in season. I like that one. How many of you like strawberries that you buy in December? No. But, but if you buy local strawberries in June and July, they are absolutely gorgeous, aren't they? Uh, and yet, nowadays, you can go to a supermarket and you can buy almost any fruit you want almost any time of the year. All nicely, cleanly wrapped up in plastic and tasteless. Probably be more energy in the plastic. Um, last week, we were thinking about the harvest and we had some wonderful displays of fruit and vegetables here. Actually, the purpose of a fruit tree is to produce fruit. And unless the, tr the tree produces some kind of fruit, you might as well cut it down and use it for firewood. Uh, but if it's an apple tree, we want to get apples from it. If it's a plum tree, we want to get plums. Um, but we know, actually, in our climate, certainly, that a tree cannot produce fruit all year round. That's not always the case. If you go to the Mediterranean, you can find a lemon tree that produces lemons all the year round. Um, in fact, though, we spent a couple of lovely holidays in Mallorca in the back garden with a lemon tree. And you could see the flowers, the buds, the flowers, the small green lemons, the, the larger ones, and the ripe lemons all year round. But that's some kinds of tree. But most trees, I think you'll agree, have seasons. Even figs. And Jesus was angry with the fig, wasn't he? Because he wanted, a, he wanted a fig to eat, and it wasn't the season for figs. There weren't any figs on that tree, we are told. Um, and I think that's important when we think about us and our lives the kind of fruit that God wants us to produce is it reasonable to expect that we can produce good fruit all the time it would be a lovely thing wouldn't it but actually in reality there are seasons in our lives are there not and we tend to go through some seasons when we feel we are totally barren and dry and not exactly doing very productive at all. Just like the trees when they go through the winter. Uh, it seems that they're not doing anything. The leaves have all dropped off. 
they're just standing there, withstanding the storms. What are they doing? What a waste of time, you might think. I should be producing fruit. But actually, God takes us through seasons in our lives. Some seasons we are immensely productive. And other seasons, it seems like we've gone dry and barren. Does that ex- does that match with your experience? It certainly does with mine. Now, um, let's go back to our trees here, because there's two, there's two bits of tree there. Well, actually, one of them is, looks like a tree, but it isn't really. Let me get them out. Um, horticulturalists, please, identify this one. Fennel, yep. Fennel and... Willow, okay. Now, these both look about the same, don't they, in terms of their size? Yep. Okay, um, John, you're a strong man. Can you come and break this one for me? Anyone? And, and, yeah, well, preferably in the thicker bit, see how strong you are. Will it do it? Ah. Strength. Okay, now, I hope you're not too strong. Try, try, try that one, John. Uh, well, it may do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh. <laughs> He's done it. He's done it. But it, it was harder, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That's why I was the usual thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you've ruined both my visual aids, but, uh, <laughs> but you've made the point. Now, can anyone tell me why this one was harder to break than this one? Yeah. This actually all grew this year. This um, fennel, that's all this year's growth. And when, if you look at it, it's pretty well hollow. It's got one outside layer, and then it's got pith in the middle. This is probably, I haven't measured it, but probably about three years, that branch, about three-year-old, and therefore it's, it's been growing longer and it is stronger. Um, and that is really important, because if we're to be like a tree planted by streams of water that produces fruit in season, it, it assumes that actually... We have, dry, we have dry seasons and wet seasons. We have winter, we have summer. And all of those go to making us a mature believer. Now, I've actually cut some little samples out here. And you might need glasses for this, actually. But if you'd like to p- pass these little bits around. I'm going to pa- pa- pass, just pass them around. And um, have a look at this wood. Um, anyone know what kind of wood it is, first of all? can't all see it yet. Just, just, just chuck some back. And there's not enough to go around one each, so just, just pass them around. Sorry? It's not balsa wood, no. It, no. I, I'll, I'll take you out in a secret. It is spruce. It is um, spruce from the, um, the mountains of Europe. Uh, a lot of mountain spruce. Um, what can you notice about it? It's It's strong. It's strong, but if you, if you bend it across the grain, it snaps. Now, actually, that's the secret. Well, it's got grain in it, hasn't it? So have a look. How, roughly how many grains can you see? Roughly how many are there in an inch, would you say? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be far off. 20. It varies a little bit. Uh, there's about 20 grains for one inch. So that tree has taken 20 years to grow that much. Uh, that, uh, you, you probably guessed. These are offcuts from a bit of spruce for a guitar front. 
Um, in order to make wood suitable for that, it has to grow very, very slowly over a very long time. It's very strong in one direction, but it, but it breaks along, along the grain. So every piece of wood that you look at has got grain in it. Now, if you look very carefully at the grain... Yes, Mary? Yep. Yeah, uh, well, I, that's a good point. Um, let, me just, let me just get one thing first. The, the, the dark, thin, dark lines, do you know when that was? The winter. And the thick, white lines, summer. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a tree that's grown in a temperate country, and, and that's how it grows. Every grain is a winter, and that marks each year of the tree. So that tree was probably 200 years old before it becomes big enough to make into big enough to make a guitar. So uh, that wood has taken 200 years to get like that. Yeah, and, and Mary's absolutely right. If you look at them very carefully, you can see some of them are narrower than others, and that, that is an indication that different years it grew different amounts. And if you're an expert dendrologist, you can look at ancient wood, and they can actually match two pieces of wood and find out which summer and winter match up. So they can find out exactly how old that piece of wood is by the pattern of, of the weather, that, uh, the climate that took place. So that piece of wood has so much knowledge about it, uh, and it's strong because it had a winter and a summer. If that had all grown up in one year, it would just be like a piece of you know, floppy. It would be all floppy. So when we grow, uh, and we I want to be like this person who is blessed, why do we expect to become blessed in one year? Why do we expect to go on one super-duper Christian conference and jump up and down and hear the best speakers in the world and come back as a mature, believing Christian? It's not like that, is it? You've got to go from, you know, from the high to the low. You've got to go from the summer to the winter. You've got to endure those times of desert and dryness, uh, as well as the lovely summer times, uh, in order to grow can you expect to produce fruit in every season of that life? No. It's only in the white part of that wood that the, that the, the seeds and things would have been formed. The, the dark part, which is half the year, uh, would have been unproductive. But it adds to who we are. Now, Jesus tells us very clearly in John 15 that we must remain in him. Remain in the vine. Again, he goes back to his agricultural expression. That piece of wood can only grow if it remains in the roots. The fruit can only appear if it remains in the branches and the branches connected to the trunk and if the leaves are providing sustenance. And this tree uh, in the Psalm 1 is one that bears fruit in season. It's one whose leaves do not wither. Now that's interesting because some Trees do drop their leaves and some don't. But actually, a tree here, a deciduous tree, does drop its leaves, but that's not what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about more a tree that withers because there's not enough water or is whatever. Um, he's not talking about one that drops its leaves out of the season. And it says, whatever he does prospers. Now, the, the theme of today is drought-proof spirituality. Now, we all go through dry periods. The test is whether our spirituality is sufficiently rooted 
into those streams of living water, whether we are open to the light of Christ and whether the rings of the seasons are building up to make us stronger and better. That is the test. Now, now Steve, uh, I gave you this morning a photograph. Perhaps you could find that. And uh, yeah, I'll look at that. Um, it's actually just in the field by the, by the old phone box here. Can anyone see what they are? It's actually a hayfield, but can you see what they are? Well, they're elm trees. And if you have a look, even in our lawn this summer, which was probably the biggest drought we've had for, for de- de- decades, little elm trees were shooting up everywhere in a lawn that's meant to be grass. Now, um, grass was struggling to survive, but the elm trees were shooting up. Now, isn't that incredible? Uh, and that's all one year's growth. So that if we left it, those elm trees would establish a lovely forest. Sadly, they die when they get to about 20 feet tall because the beetle gets in them. But um, it shows that some plants are very adaptable to growing in drought conditions. And that's the kind of people that we need to be. Whether the floods, the storms, the droughts come, if we are rooted in Christ, if we are, uh, have a spirituality that dwells on his word and that we ruminate on, um, we can find um, our salvation and our strength through him. But I want to say, just in conclusion, um, spirituality is not dependent on our efforts. Yes, it is good to have a discipline. It is good to do things within our spiritual disciplines, praying, reading the Bible, being quiet, meeting with other people, all those kind of things. But actually, our salvation does not depend on our efforts. Um, Our spirituality is not proportional to how long we spend in our quiet time. You know, I think we sometimes get the the message, you must have your 15 minutes of, of each day with Selwyn, or whatever it might be. It's important that we have some kind of discipline, but the length of that is not proportional. You know, I think it's about getting it in balance, isn't it? It's about how we, what we do with that. Uh, uh, you know, it's important to spend time quiet, but it's also important that we, that we meditate on that while we're in the midst of our meeting at work, while we're trying to sort out the, the, the problems in our family, that we can meditate and grow on that. It's about standing firm in Christ. It's about knowing that we're anchored in him. It's about knowing that all of our sustenance comes from him, from the living water. Now, of course, that's no excuse for being lazy or sloppy. Or, uh, you know, and, you know, I guess we all, we're, all, we're all there from time to time. The blessed man is not perfect. So if you think that this thing about spirituality is all about how to be a perfect Christian, well, you're wrong. But it is about how to be about a real spirituality. And I think part of that is being totally honest. Um, I wish we were all honest. I'll, t- I'll just tell you a little story as I finish today about being honest about ourselves. I, I went in to do my first uh, governor's visit to Hambridge Primary School, to the reception class. And I sat down next to this little boy who was drawing a lovely picture of, of Jupiter. And I said, I just sat down next to him. He looked up at me and he said, you've got an enormous nose. 
Isn't that fantastic? That, he's right. He's observed. But what honesty, isn't that? And, and I think it's really important. All these teachers said, you should not say things like that to our visitors, Jimmy. Uh, but um, anyway, I thought there was something refreshingly honest about that. And I think it's important that we are honest in our spirituality. I just thought I'd throw that in. Don't forget everything else I said beforehand. <laughs>